Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. We are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Yes, sir. And this week, I went to the first, I think, business conference I've been to since before 2019. Went to the, the Hold Co. conference in Cleveland, Ohio, where I live, which is amazing, which is like 90% of the reason I signed up, but it was really cool. I wanted to kind of talk about that before diving into some other stuff. Colin, I think you sent me a link to it. You saw it first, but this is basically a conference for SMB Twitter, which, you know, is quite the, the interesting, like in real life community. So it's, it was put on by, I believe, I can't remember these guys' last names. Was, John Wilson and Kelsey Lyric, something like Lyric. that. I think it's Kelsey. Yeah, John and Kelsey. John and Kelsey put this conference together. They are both Cleveland-based, which, by the way, I'm just going to say this once. Anybody in or from Cleveland is not actually in or from Cleveland. The city of Cleveland's one of like 45 different towns or cities, so to speak, in, in an area. So if you, I think Kelsey's from the east side. John is from, I think, also like southeast side. And it's, so it's like everyone's around this ring in, in this orbit. So it was kind of rare to see it, a conference pop up in my backyard, which again, I signed up and then, you know, months in advance and kind of forgot about it. And then it popped up on my calendar and it was, it was awesome. So I, I would just kind of give you a little bit of FOMO. Like you definitely meet people that are, you know, both on Twitter, which again, I'm not much of a power user of, but like still read from time to time and got to, to meet people that I, I know on Twitter and, and talk to them. The vibe was amazing. It was super duper friendly. Like I'm, kind of an introvert at times when it comes to those things it's just kind of awkward to talk to a, a room full of people you don't know always but everybody was just super willing to talk about what they're doing what they're thinking about what their you know focus is it was an environment where you didn't really feel cheesy being like well what do you, what are your businesses what what type of what industry are you in and people everybody had a great story lots of high achievers in a room getting together kind of sharing stories and there were some interesting takeaways. So I'll talk about the talks a little bit from a high level, but it was, as far as the people that I ran across, there were some really interesting stories. There were people that we'd actually, you know, indirectly knew through fundraising or, you know, like our LP network. There were also just great operators. And I think one of the first things that I, I noticed is there were the largest collection of, sorry, what is the, the sleep ring that you wear? Oh, Colin? Ura ring. The Ura ring. I've never seen ah. as many people wearing Ura rings in one room in my life so lots of people that value their sleep but also drank pretty hard like it was a definitely alcohol friendly you know evening environment it was a lot of dudes i saw it's maybe all dudes four... right it any... was not all dudes it was mostly huh. dudes it was and it was a lot of white dudes but you know there were you know all sorts of of folks it's just the the it's funny the ladies were more represented in the speakers and i think actual attendees but there were there were a couple of women in the audience that was was nice to see. But yeah, it was super homogenous. So that was an interesting data point for for this community. I don't know if that's Twitter or if it's you know the, the hold co piece of it. The other thing is there weren't many actual hold co's there. There were a lot of folks that were in, there were some independent sponsors. There were some folks that had their first like sort of platform, so to speak. And and you had explained to me like what is a platform exactly. Which you definitely knew before, right? Yeah, I did not know. I mean, <laughs> it made sense in conversation that a platform, you mean your business, but there were a couple of guys doing some really interesting stuff, smart folks that, you know, we're kind of talking about the distinctions 
of a hold co versus for example like doing a fund or an independent sponsor and and again like even some of the speakers didn't necessarily have a hold co they they were running like a real estate fund or a home services business maybe they had their first but john and kelsey both seem to have a hold co i think it's 365 holdings is is kelsey's business which is an e-commerce based business i mean they're, they're sounding like they have warehouses doing pick and pack and i think there was one other business that there was a a talk from their their operator and this was reg reg zeller's company and i, I don't remember it's like Canecast, where they actually do like manufacturing which is he completely... buys like small foundries like across yes. the country i think he's super a pretty interesting cool. one super cool and so his chief operator was like one of the first conversations and he was great. And these guys, you could just tell, love what they do. They're super into the people side of things. Like, so top themes from a super high level, like people are everything. If you are going to run Holdco, and again, this is even with software companies, I would agree. It's like getting the right people, right butts and seats. I heard maybe a hundred times. The other thing I heard a lot is everybody likes to talk about when they want more information on something, they say they would like to double click on that which I find to be a little strange. I'd like to double click on that to get like a speaker to tell you more about something. So definitely be stealing that or, or not. I don't know. Yeah. That's pretty um, dorky. <laughs> I'll say that one again. But yeah. So going back to the operators again, it, it's super, uh, everyone's crazy about culture. And that seemed to be one of the, the main themes of just like getting the right people. How do we keep the right people in our orbit? So yeah, I'll, I'll pause there. And before I go into some of the talks that I heard and, and just kind of say that, like, it was super energizing. It came out of it a feeling I kind of got shot out of a cannon and kind of questioning is the hold code technically what, what we want to be doing? Like, does that really make sense? I mean, we have multiple companies, but is that really indicative? Because I, I heard what I heard from a lot of people was the term allocation. It's like, in order to have a great hold co, you need to be a master allocator and you look like a Warren Buffett and he's like the greatest of that. And I kind of know what that means, but I honestly don't. So I want to throw that to you. It's like, what do you see? Do you, do you agree with that statement that like, if you have a hold co, the job to, to do is, is out? Yes. So this is, becomes a more technical question. So, but I view it as a spectrum. So hold co is like, that would be kind of where Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway plays where things are like completely independent. Next step after that is like an accumulator which is more of what we are. It is what we are. And that's what like Constellation software is with it. There's like some, you know, shared services, some integrations in between things. After that would be a platform. So that's like you buy, I would say like you have four platforms and one is like a gardening services or landscaping. One's like, you know, dental services. So if you bought Brent's Dental, that would be a platform. And then you do add-ons onto that. And so that's like all one type of business. And then a roll-up would be like this foundry guy where he's just buying up foundries, he's rolling them all together. Right. Um, so that is kind of the spectrum. And like how integrated are those things and how similar are all the businesses kind of depends or decides where you end up on that kind of old co spectrum of sorts. Yeah. So going into some of the talks, I mean, some of the highlights, I'll, I'll go really quick on some of these because I don't really want to bore people to death. Yeah, I think they are publishing all the talks I don't know for free, but they were recording everything, which was, was really cool. So check that out. Check them out at the Holdco conference. Google it. I don't know their website, but Bob and Patel was the first speaker. So I, I don't know if you call him the keynote and he, these were all fireside chats as no one was like coming up and trying to give their pitch, but he is based in Shaker Heights, Ohio, or on the East side of, of Cleveland. And he's really 
doing real estate. He's doing all these like classy homes, which I was like, okay, that's interesting. But what does that have to do with like having a holding company? But he has this kind of long thesis that I won't get into, but in the short version is manufacturing is going to come roaring back to the United States in one way, but in number two, it's going to come roaring back to Ohio and specifically Cleveland, where we have tons and tons and tons of factories that are functional that are, if his point was in looking at, you know, where is global demand coming from? He was pointing to India. He's like, if you want to build a factory in India, you can do that, but you have to then bring electricity and roads and, and railroads. And that's going to take decades of real infrastructure. Liquefied natural gas is kind of what, what his, his main thesis was around, but it was hilarious though. He's like, not, he's trading real estate in part of that thesis. So all the questions were, were hilarious in the sense that they kind of went back to well, what are you doing with liquefied natural gas or what are you doing? This it sounds like you have a very successful real estate business. So it, it was kind of interesting just to kind of see why it is that he was doing this. And maybe it sounds like in the future, he's going to have a hold co, but this started to like open up this thing of like, well, wait, not everything's exactly a hold co. It's just kind of entrepreneurs in this, kind of SMB space. And we're talking about hold codes. Emily Holdman, a permanent equity was there. She sounds like they have a, a great, great business and don't really have to, their main, her main message was don't call us. We'll call you. <laughs> She's basically was saying they don't have to do, they do zero outbound and they have a great business and they have, you know, endowment funds investing in them. And so main takeaway there is she's on a different planet of this doing it long-term. And I think that was like the, the big thing with with all the speakers, Trish Higgins from Chenmark was a, probably one of my favorite speakers and just talking about going slow and fast, which is, I think we know a lot about is like some seasons you're, you're acquiring a lot of stuff and then other seasons you're like figuring out your systems. So, so was a, all those guys are, so Chenmark and Permanent Equity, they're like really pushing on content. I both find them fascinating. They got into it way earlier than us. So like uh, Brent Breeshore and... Permanent Equity were like the first. They wrote Messy Marketplace and you know, did all the original content. And then Chunmark is a much newer one. So probably in the last like three years, five years, they did their first acquisition. They just been buying up a bunch of random companies in Maine. And they they couldn't raise any capital. They ended up doing SBA loans for like the first deals. And now they're just compounding their own money. Um, and they just bought like a tourism, like whale watching business. They just do all different kinds of things and have just been integrating them. So They've been super yeah. cool. Trish is a great podcast listen. Yeah, definitely give a listen to her. They're, they're NYC finance folks that, yeah, they have, they ended up purchasing, I think the the first one was, was landscaping and then they scooped up a bunch, kind of unintentionally took a freeze for two to three years and then, yeah, picked up at least two boat tour companies and a frozen dough company, which is like yeah. biggest takeaway from her, which I thought was really cool is they take cybersecurity really interesting, which I did not expect to hear that term from anybody, but they've, they're like, you know, these are the, the businesses that get targeted for ransomware and we just don't want to deal with it. And so it was, it was pretty interesting. Good thoughts on compensation. Like, again, how do you put in operators? How do you keep good talent in orbit? Yeah, it was super energizing and really fun. Like met some, everybody, I met a guy who just sold his Peloton accessories business. It was amazing. And he's now, you know, transition to something new. Everyone had a great story, right? It's like, oh, I grew this, grew that, sold this, sold that, or, or I'm in the thick of it. And it, it's like, they're either way ahead of you or way behind you. And it just, it was a very cool, like, we're all kind of rising tide lifts all ships. 
type of so was it all i guess practitioners was it people like us you know actively yeah. doing it or that it's like you know people that want to do it or it's investors trying to back people doing it it seemed like everybody that i spoke to was in it they were doing it like you know i think at first I, they showed something where it's like oh it was supposed to be a little more exclusive to the actual ceos or the actual like assets under management was a certain minimum i don't think that was the case i think there's still you know small companies and big companies or you know there was an mba who had just you know, did his first search fund or an MBA that did just bought their first home services business and he was going to do a search fund. So, but they were all people that were actively having a deal or had something under LOI that was like about to happen. Sweet. Yeah. I, it sounds like a successful first fund. I guess they're going to do it every year going forward. I, I hope so. And hopefully they keep it in, in Cleveland. It, it was like, I think everyone was, we had the best weather. So it's like very good look for the city when it's like, we had dinner at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame outside and like it was 70 degrees out and beautiful and sunny. It was just perfect. I mean, there's a, a few of these conferences every year. I guess, yeah, one of us should probably start going to them. Sounds like they're worthwhile. That was my takeaway. It's like, shit, I got to do this more often. And I, again, I'm not a networker. I hate that kind of stuff, but it was, you know, maybe I'm just getting older and I don't really care who I talk to anymore, but it made me realize like, oh, there's there's a great community in this space. Everyone I think treats it the same way. It's like total dream job. This is the dream job. This is like the environment of folks that were, everyone loves what they do. And so that just by itself is, is super infectious. Sweet. Any other takeaways you want to talk about? Around the no. Next? no, let's, let's talk about our latest dead deal. So losing a deal to Michael Jordan, that one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do you want to talk about the business at first? I mean, we can keep it vague, of course, but but we were we're still a little yeah. sore about it. So, background backing up, how did I meet him? I think they reached out to me initially. So the situation was one of the co-founders just died very sadly and uh, somewhat unexpectedly, it seems. And no trust was set up, and then it became a big estate issue. So they were going to have to exit, and they had raised a good amount of money and a debt on the business. So like they really had to exit for like a above a certain value. To our understanding, we were the only people that were like really in it. And we, you know, we're prepared to make an offer. We got creative to, you know, reach the value that they wanted. And then, you know, the day, I guess the day after we delivered the news of our offer, turns out Mark Leonard and Constellation Software swooped in all cash offer and like double R's. And so a deal we thought we had, we do not have. <laughs> so it's a great outcome for the, you know, the founders and the state and everything, but kind of cool for us. It's like, yeah, we lost a, a basketball game to Michael Jordan. And it's like, well, at least it's cool to be on the, the floor with Michael. And of course we lost, so we don't have the money to really compete with that. Yeah, that was, that was like the only upside that it was somebody we we admired, I think, to, to the deal. But, you know, it, it's just kind of how this goes. Great team. It's nice to see them get an outcome here like that i think as we were looking at it we're like man this as i don't know if you look at it the same way but i'm like oh, these will will be fun people to work with it's like part of the attraction of you know if they do stay you know helping them grow this business if they don't stay like taking care of their baby but i think they'll be so going back to our we've talked about this on past podcasts what is the constellation playbook though it, they're not so cutthroat as like esw were they basically just you know cut the team, send it all to Eastern Europe and, and go away. But do they have like a, a set playbook that we can expect to see what's next? You're asking the right guy. Ah. Yeah. 
this is like, I think if you Google Mark Leonard, I'm like, the name is right next to it with my operating manual. So they are really good for the people getting acquired. So they're not like, you know, Vista. So Vista Equity has this big playbook. They basically have to very quickly turn around something. And within three to five years, you know, cut the team, gut the team, really show improved EBITDA and growth. But Constellation doesn't have to do that because it's more of like, you know, they own, I think, 400 of these or something like mm. that now. And so they could, they could, you know, invest a bunch of money in it. They could, don't have to cut anyone. They want everything to keep running. And then they offer like pretty awesome, basically pitching one of our competitors, <laughs> but uh, they offer great like upward mobility. So if these guys, you know, stick around as executives, they do a really good job. Maybe they'll get in put in charge of like three different companies. And then over time, maybe they can put in charge of like a whole division of things that kind of service similar end customers to where the business currently is. So yeah, super awesome outcome for everyone involved, except us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So deal lost, but deal lost to an idol. So, you know, it's a good outcome for them and we'll just move down, move on down the list because you know, there's, there's no shortage of opportunities. Yeah. It's the game you play. At least like, this is kind of a cool one. So yeah. Going back to, going back to fundraising a little bit, like it sounds like you had lunch with somebody who's incredibly good at fundraising. And I was wondering if you could maybe tell us, tell me why we're so bad in contrast. Why are we bad? I think so backing up a little bit, I won't disclose anything that's not like super public, but I have a buddy who turns out to be in Chicago and he reached out to me. He raised a hundred million dollars for an NFT fund. It's actually two across two separate funds and he raised it. He doesn't know any people in Chicago, like literally anyone. So I was like trying to see who he knew. He raised it basically by reaching out to people on Twitter that followed him. So he built an audience on Twitter and with a podcast. And then he DM'd like original crypto people that he thought had a good amount of money and hedge mm. fund people. And he's mm. like, you know, I'm doing this, you know, here are my historical returns. And his whole thing was like, NFTs are going to be big. And he thought they'd be big in like 2024. And so he just started raising like as COVID was starting. So mm. all on Zoom, no in-person pitches, raised money from like the Winklevoss twins and Mark Andreessen and Chris Dixon, like basically all the big names in crypto they could ever think of. And he is, yeah, off to the races, doing really well. But why are we not good at it? I think we just probably have to be bolder and like really just push for it. I think, you know, we have a number of deals under our belt now. We have some results with our own money and like we're getting blown out of the water by people like Mark Leonard with a lot more money and all ca cash offers. So it's, we've talked about in the past, but, you know, I think these founders would have loved to sell to us. They really like Brent and Colin, but there's a limit to that. And the limit is like, well, they could offer twice as much money and give it to us all <laughs> day one. I don't feel, I don't feel so bad, but yeah, I guess that, or, you know, I think the thing that I, again, going back to the whole code conference, but also what I hear the fact that he started early, I think we were talking about this earlier, but just like the patience aspect of things of like realizing we're new to this space. We've been doing this for, you know, a year or two as the current model, like we've worked together for longer, but still like the, the reputation, the, if you're starting out in, you know, five years ahead of what you're, you're aiming for 2024, rather than oh, I'm trying to bang this out in, from 2019 to 2020 in, in a year, it's like being consistent, being around and just, just being patient, I think is, is part of it. I didn't know that part of the story and that it actually makes me feel a little bit better. I don't feel so bad. It's just time. 
Yeah, and I would say everyone is probably bad at it, at least if you oh, don't come from this world of like, you know, tons and tons of money being thrown around. So this guy didn't for sure. And it was just like networking. Like you reach out to some people and you get intros from them to other people. And then you eventually, you know, end up in the room with billionaires and billionaires have to deploy the capital as well. And like, you know, you get some in and you show performance and you just grow from there. So you start small and I don't know. I don't think it's fair to say we're bad at it. I'd say just we're beginners at it. <laughs> Sounds fair to me. <laughs> cool. And then I saw you do another operating manual. Is that right? Yes, of sorts. So this is funny. So just like from the creator perspective here. So I spent a bunch of time on this John Malone one. So the Cable Cowboy, that mm -hmm. one kind of was a bust, complete bust on Twitter. Like over time, Google will love it and it'll like be ranked highly. So maybe pay off over long term. And then I listened to a podcast with Peter Levels. So Peter Levels is a a one-man startup studio. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. Um, I am, yeah. But he's been throwing things at the wall for like a decade. And he's part of this like remote work thing way before it was popular. And so he's launched, I don't know, 100 projects. And he's only really had two. But those two and a few others have reached about 3 million in ARR. And so he was on a podcast and he was talking about how he operates. I was like, cool, I'll just compile these into like a list of 10. And that blew up on Twitter. And I, I don't know, like a million people saw it or something crazy. Hmm. I think I gained like over a thousand followers. And so it's like these kind of streamlined ones. Maybe it's a complete, you know, luck of the draw and there's nothing to it, but it seemed like these streamlined ones are doing better. So I did another one with Brunello Cusinelli. So a famous like billionaire fashion designer in Italy who basically has turned his like tiny hometown, Solomeo, into like a classical Disney world. And he just made every part of it gorgeous. And it's like an amazing place. And he has, you know, unique operating principles as well. I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Cucinelli. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to attempt to do C. that, but that sounds much better. <laughs> so this is funny, like from what you were saying, it died on Twitter, but then blew up on LinkedIn. And like, how do you, can you even gander a reason why it's just different algorithms or you think it's like totally different? So this is maybe more upbeat. It's like, you know, what does he do? It's the limited working hours. So after 5.30, no one, everyone stops working. No one can send emails. He gives 20% of his profits to charity. And he also like pays people really, really well. And every day they have an hour and a half lunch that's like locally sourced and is, you know, super nice wine and everyone takes a nap after lunch. Uh, so all that I think kind of plays well on LinkedIn of like, you know, treating your employees nicely. I also just mm. think, creating content generally is just like a crapshoot. You just got to throw a lot at the wall and, you know, randomly things blow up. And I don't know, I try not to get too hard on myself. It's like, oh, that, this one didn't work. No explanation. Just on to the next one. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, that's the way to do it. Otherwise you're, you know, you're going to have negative feelings around, oh, is this going to be good? Is it not? It's like, who cares? Just do, do interesting stuff and it'll get rewarded. Yeah, I get a lot out of it too. I mean, you're just like basically distilling all your learnings of reading from people. And so it's like beneficial to me whether other people read it or not. Good to hear. Cool. Well, I think that's it for me. You got anything else you wanted to go over? No, I think that's good. Yeah, until next week. Take care. Thanks for listening. Yeah.